Welcome to this episode of Fraud Talk, the ACFE's monthly podcast. I'm Emily Primo, Associate Editor of Fraud Magazine, and I'm joined by Jordan Underhill. Jordan is a legal writer here at the ACFE, and he's going to be talking about initial coin offerings with me today. Thanks for joining us, Jordan. Thanks for having me, Emily. Great. So let's start very basic because I know that initial coin offerings are have become pretty popular recently. They've been around for a little bit, but they really are starting to come into prominence. Initial coin offerings, ICOs is what some people call them. I like to call them ICOs. I don't know or think that's correct, but I still do it. Uh, they're a fairly new trend. So what exactly is an initial coin offering? So initial coin offerings are they're generally used by new startup companies to basically raise funds for whatever they plan to do. And so this is in the form of these virtual tokens that are similar to, you know, some people may have heard of Bitcoin or Ethereum. These are like the two major virtual tokens, also sometimes referred to as cryptocurrencies. And basically these companies that are offering ICOs are offering their own form of a new virtual currency that you know, investors can invest in in the hopes of getting that currency in the future and hopefully it appreciating in value. And there's sort of um, two key forms that they take, the tokens. One is that they could be a proposition for a general purpose token. This is like Bitcoin, which, you know, Bitcoin can be used anywhere where Bitcoin is accepted. Uh, any merchants that accept it. So some ICOs may be trying to start this general purpose currency. Uh, the other form is more restrictive. It's It tends to be for use in this company's proposed ecosystem. So maybe it's a company that wants to offer file storage services. And so the way you would pay for that file storage services is by using their particular coin. And that's the the use for the coin. It's not like Bitcoin where it can be used in all these different places. So those are kind of the two key forms that ICOs are taking right now. You know, in a lot of my research, I um, came across the phrase promise to build. Mm. You mentioned the second form of these ICOs that people can use the coins or the tokens in their particular ecosystem. One in particular and I'm assuming it's pronounced, they're calling it BET, which mm-hmm. is a coin um, being designed to serve as chips in an online casino. Its programmers are, and there's the phrase, promising to build. Right. Why are people trusting their money with these ideas, especially when most aren't designed for investors to even get ownership or stake in these supposed ecosystems or startups? Right. So I think that's a good point. And I think, you know, one thing you can liken ICOs to a lot of the time is like Kickstarters. They're kind of like a Kickstarter is sort of like a promise of a future product. You know, someone wants to raise money to make a board game or make a movie or something like that. They don't have it right now. They want to raise the funds to do that. And that's sort of like ICOs are often used, like you say, a way to like build a future product. It's a way to raise funds except not using a Kickstarter. And I think one of the reasons why they're attractive uh, is so a couple things. 
first, people are really seeing Bitcoin and Ethereum like explode in value. Uh, I think year to date, Bitcoin has risen like 600%. And Ethereum went from like being worth $10 uh, last year to being worth like around $300 right now. So there's like this race to be like, to get in on the wave of cryptocurrencies. And so I think for investors, like maybe they're just kind of throwing their money out there. It's like, there's a lot of money to be made here. I want to get in on the next Bitcoin or something. One of the other reasons why they're attractive is because most of these ICOs, they take investment almost exclusively in Bitcoin or Ethereum. So it's a way for individuals to do something with the Bitcoin or Ethereum they already have. Because, you know, Bitcoin is accepted at more places now, but it's still, you know, it has limited uses. And so some people see, well, I can use my Bitcoin to invest in this other thing that maybe I can get a return on. And some of these companies are offering like tangible benefits. So for example, there's this company called Legends Room and they did an ICO and they raised around a million dollars. And their whole business plan was to open what they call, quote, a gentleman's cabaret in Las Vegas. And you could use their special token to pay for drinks and that sort of thing and get a discount if you use their token. So they did open this club in July. And if you invested in this token using, say, your Bitcoin, now you can go spend it at this particular club. So it's like a way to sort of like actualize these virtual currencies that you maybe already have. Um, and a lot of other companies like that offer these particular ecosystems, like maybe a file storage company, it's a way to like turn your virtual currencies into a real life service. So that's an example of one where they actually built what they promised. So in the event that let's say I was going to make Emily coin mm. and I promised to build the bullet train from Austin to Dallas. And I can't take credit for this. Our assistant uh, general counsel gave me this idea. But yeah, I promised to build a train from Austin to Dallas. And people give me their Bitcoins or their Ethereum. And I give them their Emily tokens. But then I never build the train. Is that fraud in this day and age? Or is it just becoming buyer beware? So it definitely could be um, that sort of one of the contentious issues right now is whether or not these virtual coins are securities. And if, you know, if they are securities, that means they are subject to the relevant regulatory authority. So in the U.S., obviously, they'd have to be registered with the SEC and then they'd have to abide by securities regulations. Um, so some ICOs are trying to kind of skirt that by, again, like treating it more like a Kickstarter. Like this is a donation. You're not necessarily going to get anything uh, in return. So it's kind of a way to try to like skirt this legal gray area. Even with Kickstarters, usually if you're contributing to a Kickstarter, there's some kind of tangible reward, right? Like you 
donate this much and you get, you know, the board game in return or something like that. And a lot of people that are donating to ICOs are treat it like an investment and they believe it to be an investment. Uh, there's kind of a high profile instance going on right now. One of the largest ICOs this year is this company called Tezos and they've raised $232 million this year during their coin sale. And there's been kind of a lot of public drama relating to the leadership in the company and like all these delays about the coins actually rolling out and like you said, like the product being realized. And one of the issues is the in the terms of sale for the coin sale, Tezos says this is, you know, this is a donation. Your these contributions are a non-refundable donation. Uh, but there is actually a recent Reuters report, and the reporters talked to various high-profile investors, and they were like, "I invested in this company. It's an investment, and as a result, I expect a return on my investment." So, in a lot of these cases, there's sort of like this disconnect between maybe what the people running the company are expecting and what the investors are expecting. Um, And I'm not saying that Tezos is engaging in any bad behavior, but just that that it's there. Uh, And actually, uh, one of these disgruntled investors just opened a class action lawsuit against Tezos because they believe that they're being defrauded. Let's say that they win, the plaintiff, and... The SEC says, or whomever says, you get something back. What exactly will the investors get back? Do they get back what they invested? Do they get back a Bitcoin that is at a different valuation at that time? Do they get something that's not, do they get a token that's not really even worth anything anymore? Mm. So um, the Tezos lawsuit it was just filed a few days ago. It's actually really complicated. That's a difficult question because so first I should mention, you know, Tezo categorically denies all of the claims in the lawsuit. Uh, but just assuming that it goes to trial and uh, the plaintiff wins, I think the plaintiff is an individual who invested one Bitcoin, which doesn't sound like a lot, but remember it's it's worth over $7,000 right now. So he invested one Bitcoin in Tezos. So I think he wants that Bitcoin back. But of course, if he got that Bitcoin back, it would, who knows what it would be worth at that particular point in time. It could so be much higher or right. let's say, with, especially with volatility, it crashes. Right, right. So it's, I don't know how the court would treat that if they'd be like, you get the value of the Bitcoin at the moment you invested, or you just get a Bitcoin back. And I mean, you took the risk of whatever it would be worth at this particular point in time. Uh, so that's an interesting question. That's probably something that will come up if any contract disputes over the next few years, if like there are contracts in Bitcoins, what would the damages be? With Kickstarters, there have been high profile Kickstarter campaigns mm. where they promise to build something or or to create something and the investors never see that product and there have been lawsuits as a result. Mm. So do you think that we're going to see more and more of that with these ICOs if people don't actually start creating these um, products, ecosystems, whatever? The, the ICO trend is so new that while maybe a few of them have actually built a product, like 
the Legends room, for example, most of them, like, it's not out there yet. So in the next few months, we'll get a better sense of what exactly is going to happen, like how many of these are actually realizable business plans. I think it's pretty obvious why, based on what you've been talking about and some of the points we've touched on, why the SEC and other financial watchdogs kind of have their eye on this. Um, They haven't done anything yet that I know of. You might know differently, but they've got an eye on this. Do you know anything about uh, where they might take regulation if they do, if there are any, um, if anybody's talking about potential regulation and, and why are they starting to focus on this? Okay. Um, So there have been a few moves, probably the most high profile are that China and now South Korea have completely banned ICOs for at least the time being. And that's largely out of concern for sort of the chaos surrounding them, like the the rush to invest and like it's kind of creating chaos for financial markets and also the potential for fraud. Um, so China and South Korea are sort of taking this like very proactive, like we're going to freeze these ICOs, at least for now, and sort of investigate and see how they should be regulated. Um, I don't think those bans are permanent. You know, they might be lifted in the future. Um, In the U.S., the SEC is sort of taking a more, I guess you could say a wait-and-see approach or reactive approach. Uh, The SEC has basically said that tokens, these tokens can be securities, Uh, Not that they necessarily always will be, but they can be. And that sort of doesn't tell us anything new because SEC wasn't like they weren't introducing any new policies or anything like that when they um, issued that report. They were just sort of applying this old Supreme Court test called the Howey test from 1946 to certain virtual currencies. And they said, you know, if they meet this test that we used to determine whether anything is a security, well, then it's a security. Um, so the SEC is not saying anything new in that regard. And and the, the, the tokens that are more likely to be considered securities are probably those that are more general purpose, whereas the ones that are in a, like a closed ecosystem, that's kind of more of a gray area. And it, it's kind of unclear what the SEC is going to do about those, but they certainly seem to be expressing more interest in them, especially with so much money flowing into ICOs. Uh, so it's possible that we'll see more from the SEC in the future and other regulatory authorities. I'm guessing if we get grumblings from investors, mm. then we can expect to see them jumping on the case Yeah. in the future. There doesn't, from what I can tell, seem to be a ton of grumblings from investors, especially because I've noticed that whether they expect the product to succeed or not, or the ecosystem to be built, they're also trading these um, tokens. And I wonder if it's because of what happened with Bitcoin. You mentioned earlier, the value of Bitcoin has just exploded. And would you say that some of these investors are saying here, you know, take my Bitcoin, I'll take this token and then hope that it increases in value to a point where I can sell it and make some money. And I don't care if you create this product that you've promised. Is that possibly why 
we haven't seen a lot of grumblings from investors, especially because so many of these products or ecosystems, from what I can tell, have not been created. Right. Um, Yeah, I think that's the case right now. It's maybe a bit too early. Uh, But one of the issues is like a lot of the tokens that these investors are are expecting to get in return for their investments, they, they haven't been delivered yet. Like that's tied to the development of whatever technology. Um, so whether or not they actually turn out to be good investments is still sort of, well, they don't know yet because they don't have the token. They don't know what the market's going to be like for that token and what, what the value is going to be like. Uh, that's actually, again, to go back to Tezos, they've delayed the rollout of their token several times already, and it's not expected now until I think early next year. And some investors are starting to get kind of antsy about that, like this one particular investor that filed a class action lawsuit just a few days ago. Uh, so I think, yeah, the the longer it takes, uh, the more you know worried investors are going to get that they're not going to see any return. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'm seeing a little bit better now that these tokens and is it all cases or most cases they really are tied to the product? You have to have the ecosystem to have the token, correct? Yeah. The, in most cases I've seen, the token are like a key part of the business strategy. Okay. So you mentioned that China and South Korea have outlawed this mm-hmm. because of potential fraud risks. What are the potential fraud risks associated with ICOs? Uh, so I think there's there's definitely a few. Um, so one of the ones that pops up most frequency, frequently is a concern about money laundering, uh, that ICOs could be used by bad actors to launder money. And that could happen in a couple ways. One way is maybe, you know, I have dirty money and it's been converted into Bitcoin or another virtual token and I decide, well, I'm going to invest it in this ICO, hope the ICO works out, and then I'll get these tokens back, and then I've kind of washed my money, and I can maybe cash these tokens out and sort of obfuscate, like, where the money came from. Another way it might happen is, you know, some innocent investor and invests in, in an ICO and gets, you know, blue coins or something, and then they take their blue coins and they trade them on this unregulated exchange to another user who has dirty money that they want to wash. So they take their dirty money and they buy the blue coins from the innocent investor and now they've kind of washed that money. Now they have the blue coins rather than their dirty money and then they can, you know, uh, cash out with the blue coins, sell them to someone else and sort of uh, get their funds out of the virtual currencies. Uh, so I think that's definitely a big one, especially with states, you know, like China and South Korea, the governments are concerned about money laundering and even maybe terrorist financing. But I think that one's a little bit uh, more questionable, whether or not that's something that happens. Um, another one is there's this concern about – so ICOs – I've seen ICOs kind of likened to – penny stocks, microcap stocks, and there's this worry that people could use them for pump and dump schemes, essentially. Um, so, so consider as an example, like a few years ago, 
50 Cent, the rapper, was in the news because he had a couple of tweets on Twitter about this really, really small company. And he was like, hey, look at this company. It's super cool. Like, you guys should invest in it to his millions of followers on Twitter. And he didn't disclose that, oh, he actually owns like 13% of that company, you know, millions of shares. And it's this like very, very small company that was trading for like 10 cents a share. And a few hours after he had those tweets, you know, it, it increased like 290%. Uh, so there was some concern around that time. It was like, is he pumping the stock up or something? Like getting ready to pump and dump or something like that? Uh, and there's a similar concern about ICOs that are getting hyped up because there's so much hype around them right now. And some have even been endorsed by celebrities. Uh, Floyd Mayweather and Paris Hilton have both endorsed uh, virtual or ICOs on social media. Paris Hilton later deleted her endorsements, which suggests like maybe she received legal advice or something not to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and like, of course, that draws a lot of attention to those ICOs. And now suddenly something that no one knew about, a lot of people know about it might draw investment and uh, increase the price. And of course, you don't have to have celebrity endorsements. You can, you know, you can take out ads, you can use spam social media accounts that pump up the hype around these virtual tokens. And then the concern is, like you said, like that all these people are get bought in by the hype, throw their money at it, and then the person kind of just disappears yeah. <laughs> and doesn't deliver anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's definitely a concern with regulatory authorities. The potential for that um another thing is just there's just a huge lack of information surrounding a lot of these companies that are putting out icos you know i looked at various websites of companies that are putting out icos and usually you know it's like a slick website and then they have this like 20 to 30 page white paper that sort of describes the technology and sort of summarizes some challenges so it's kind of like in that sense like a kickstarter you know like at a kickstarter you might see like here's what we want to do here's our mission here's some of the challenges we might face etc but it's not in-depth like you know if you're going to invest in an ipo a, a new company going public they have all these filings with nasdaq or with whatever exchange they're on you can see really detailed financials see all this information about their potential competitors or potential liabilities, and you just don't see that with ICOs. Uh, they're much less transparent. So there's this concern that there could be easily misleading investors. Um, and that actually happened in an SEC case just recently. Uh, the SEC filed charges against this man who had – who conducted two ICOs for two separate companies. And um, so the companies he claimed, the virtual tokens that he was offering, he claimed that they were backed in one se- in one company by real estate and in the other company by diamonds. And so according to the SEC, that is false. The company that claimed their virtual token was backed by diamonds had not even purchased diamonds and in fact had no business operations at all (laughs) he claimed that you know all of these lawyers and accountants had been consulted and that also apparently wasn't the case they had not been consulted they were not involved in the projects at all 
Uh, so it turned out like all these misleading statements that this individual was making to investors. And it's, I mean, it's so easy to do that in a, when you're offering something like this, even on a Kickstarter, like how can you verify that information? How can you verify that you've already gained all of this seed money? You know, this guy said he had like two to $4 million in investments already. And it turned out he had like $300,000. Um, and you know, unlike, Again, investing in an IPO where they have to make all these public filings, like ICOs, you don't have to do that. So it's easy to sort of hide things. So again, it's kind of back to that buyer beware until the SEC finds out that all of the claims that you've made are false. And then hopefully there will be some sort of investigation. But there are so many ICOs out there that it's got to be tough to trust that this particular ICO you're investing in has the correct information. And if they don't, it something will happen down the road. So can people like Bitcoin use these tokens or coins or whatever they get when they invest in an ICO and use them on the dark net or the deep web for illicit purposes? Because I know that with Bitcoin, that was huge concern and it still is. So is there a trend going that way? I, I think it's hard to say yet just because a lot of these tokens, like I said, haven't really entered the the economic sphere yet. Um, that, But that's definitely a possibility. Uh, like you said, like with Bitcoins and Ethereum, you already see that. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if someone you know, engages in money laundering using some of these tokens by kind of like shifting around through different virtual currencies, you know, you find a way. Uh, even if, you know, even if it's a closed ecosystem, you might still be able to find an outside buyer for those coins, you know, like maybe you can do like a peer-to-peer transaction, even if like officially the coins aren't accepted elsewhere. Um, so there, there's definitely that possibility, yes. So you mentioned some fraud risks, but are there any other risks, consumer or otherwise, that you see associated with ICOs or in this space? Yeah, uh, I I think there's definitely some other potential risks. Um, One is sort of tied to the pump and dump schemes we talked about or sort of the the ease of manipulation that might occur, uh, and that's just like how volatile – virtual currencies are. Even really, I guess at this point, well-established ones like Bitcoin and Ethereum like go through huge price swings. You know, Ethereum at one point over the summer hit almost $400 and then like three weeks later it was down to $150. So it's sort of like unpredictable how the market's going to react to virtual tokens and how they're going to be valued from like one day to the next. And that can, that sort of ties into the whole pump and dump thing is it might be easy to manipulate them, especially if there aren't a lot of them to begin with. Um, another issue are security risks. Um, you know, unlike, you know, virtual tokens, it's not really like having money in the bank, you know, where that money is federally insured, you know. So maybe if someone somehow hacks into your bank account, and gets the money, you can most likely get it back. Uh, with virtual tokens, there have been 
many instances where uh, there have been essentially heists where someone gets into a Bitcoin or Ethereum wallet and gets the tokens. And then, I mean, there's not a whole lot of there's not a whole lot you can do to reverse that. Um, And so that's definitely a risk with any new virtual token unless they're more regulated than like Bitcoin, like Bitcoin and Ethereum. The whole point is that they're decentralized and as a result, unregulated by any central authority. And so I think that's an attractive part of virtual tokens in general. And so a lot of these new tokens like want to be that way as well. And so that has a trade-off of these security risks. There's not, you know, sort of an oversight person who can like ensure that you get your tokens back if someone steals them. And another another risk is again it's tied to the lack of information that a lot of these ICOs put out and that's just how complex the technology is. It's just I mean it's really difficult to wrap your head around unless you like like this is something you study actively. Uh, but if you're just, you know, a regular investor or like you know, someone who follows Paris Hilton on Twitter, for example, like you're probably not going to know like the ins and outs of this technology. And you're certainly not going to understand it just by reading some 30 page paper that they might have on their website. And for that reason, you know, it's sort of easy to take advantage of someone's ignorance about the technology. Like maybe you're just like, is the stuff you're offering, is it even realizable at all? (laughs) You know, like someone that it's not really well informed about it might not realize that like it doesn't even make sense uh, and you can take advantage of those uninformed investors in that in that way i mean that makes a lot of sense especially because i feel like i've been reading up on this for months now mm-hmm. i've been fascinated by this topic and uh which is why i'm sitting here with you today <laughs> uh because i've done a lot of research and still Even today, kind of going over my notes, there are so many things that I still don't know and still don't understand. And I feel like I've asked the same questions of different people multiple times in relation to ICOs because it is pretty complex. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I feel that way, too. And it's like you can contrast it with something like, okay, like Snapchat is filing for an IPO. Like, well, most people know what Snapchat is. You can get it on your phone. You can use it. You can see how other people use it. It's like easy to observe. And like maybe the biggest questions are, well, how are you going to monetize this? You know, is this going to be a good investment? Because I don't understand how you're going to make money for it. Whereas with, you know, virtual tokens, it's like, well, one, you don't even have an existing product that you can look at and be like, oh, this is, this is your product. I can see it because you have already built it and you're already shopping it around. Like a lot of the times it's, you know, like a Kickstarter, like you have mock-ups and that sort of thing, but you can't actually see it functioning. And also it's sort of like difficult to wrap your mind around cryptocurrencies unless you actively use them to begin with. And even if you do, I mean, that doesn't mean you understand all the underlying technologies, you know, it's, I mean, it's easy enough to buy some pick. Bitcoin without like understanding how any of it works other than it's worth a lot of money right now. Thank you, Jordan. And thanks to our listeners for joining us for this edition of Fraud Talk. 
To hear more of our podcasts, visit acfe.com slash podcast or search Fraud Talk on the iTunes store, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. I'm Emily Primo, signing off.